Well, have you ever been invited to a party or maybe a dinner and you really didn't want to go? And you just thought, you know, I'm tired, it's Friday night, I've had a long week, I don't want to go. But you went anyway and you just had a great time. You come back excited and you apologize to your wife for not wanting to go in the first place. And um, some of you get that. <clears throat> well, who would have ever thought that studying the genealogy in Matthew would have been as much fun as it's been? Would you have ever thought that the messages would be as powerful as they've been, or is there's so much insight and, uh, and, and so many things God had for us in this? It's uh, really kind of an amazing thing to me. In fact, I wanted to skip the uh, genealogy, and Wilson, when I said that, he said, no, no, we can't. We have to do the genealogy. So uh, we did the genealogy, and I'm so glad we did. It's really, it's, it's kind of like a legal document in some, some uh, terms. It could be used like that if you were in a lawsuit over an inheritance or something. A genealogy would come into play. But this genealogy of Matthew is about far more than uh, just a legal definition of who Jesus is. It really is the story of Israel. It's as if you're with Jesus and, and you have some downtime. Maybe you're a reporter and you're interviewing Jesus. You say, okay, Jesus, here you are. You're granted, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for, uh, the nation of Israel's been waiting for. How did you get here? You know, what's, what's the story of how you got here in Israel at this time? And, and Jesus would think for a moment and then he would say, you know, it all started with my ancestor Abraham and a promise that God gave to him. And then Isaac and Jacob, and what a character Jacob was. His daughter-in-law, whom he, uh, he wronged, deceived him into having sex with her, and she had a baby who became part of the genealogy. Can you believe that? You, and, and, and as Jesus is going through all of the different uh, ones in the genealogy, and, and uh, Rahab, and uh, David, and Hezekiah, and Uzziah, and all of the different ancestors. And he keeps showing over and over again how situations were just over and over again messed up. And, and, and he keeps stopping and saying, can you believe how the Father works? How he takes faulted, flawed people like this who make a mess of things so many times, but he puts it together and he works it out so that his perfect will can be done. You see, the genealogy is really the story of the history of Israel. And, and it really is the story of Jesus, but the story of the history of Israel leading up to this crescendo moment when the Son of God, the Messiah, is born into the nation of Israel and into the world. And that's what we're going to look at today. It, uh, in fact, the passage itself starts off talking, saying this is how the birth of Jesus came about. But I titled the message today... Joseph, son of David. And that's because although the passage starts with this is how Jesus was born, everything in the rest of this paragraph is about Joseph. And as I contemplated that, I thought this, all of the names in the genealogy, or most all of them, to a first century Jew would have meant something. They hear the name Abraham and stories fire into their mind. They hear, they hear Jacob and they have stories that come to mind. And on down, on down through Zerubbabel and other key people in this genealogy. And now we come to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Joseph, 
the one that God chose to be the father, the earthly father of Jesus, the adoptive father of Jesus. And what, what Matthew wants is he wants us to have stories that come to mind when we hear the name Joseph, just as we do all the others in that genealogy. And so this, this paragraph really is kind of the story of Joseph. And, and it tells us who Joseph was, what kind of a man he was. So you could ask the question, if God's going to pick someone to adopt his son, who does he look for? You know, what type of person does he look for? And, and he looked for a man like Joseph. So we're going to read the passage and then go through, and I'll share some of the things that uh, the Lord gave me this week for it. So we're going to, uh, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, should come up on the screen right now. There it is. All right. Starts off like this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just or righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet when he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. They, in other words, they had no, they didn't consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, uh, what a fantastic uh, story! And uh, so much is just, it's just so full of things that God wants us to see and understand. As a back piece of background, we need to understand what betrothal was. Because in one case, it calls Joseph her husband, uh, but then later it says he's going to divorce her, but then it says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. So that could be confusing. The way things worked in those days, parents would often uh, pledge two people to each other. Like, for instance, uh, Mary and Joseph's parents may have said they're going to get married when they grow up, when they reach the right age. Or it could have been that when they became the right age, some other transaction happened that they decided, yes, we will get married. That's what we're working towards. That would be like today's engagement period. You know, it's just an engagement. You can break it anytime you want. Now, once they became betrothed, that became a legal contract, similar to marriage, but without all the privileges of marriage. You were called husband and wife, but you didn't live together yet and you had not yet consummated your relationship with sexual relations. And so they are in this betrothal period right now, and to end a betrothal, you could end it, but it was like the equivalent of divorce. That's why it uses the same word here. He, he would send her away or he would put her away. That's the word that is used for divorce in the New Testament. <clears throat> so during this betrothal period, you would be called husband and wife even. So you would say, you know, Mary's my wife, but we haven't yet had the wedding. We haven't yet consummated our relationship and entered into the fullness of husband 
and what, what it means to be husband and wife. So it was during that period of time that it says Mary was found to be with child, and Matthew wants to get this in here, and I think it should be parenthetical, uh, by the Holy Spirit, okay? Matthew wants to make sure we all know that right up front, and I believe this is the first reference to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So an emphatic statement that the Holy Spirit was part of this from the beginning. When it says found, what it means is discovered. It means that people observed it. And so it's a, a safe inference to make that Mary was starting to show. That people were looking at her and they're saying, hey, this girl's pregnant, when's the baby due? And, and so she was found to be pregnant. It's, be, it's becoming obvious to all. Joseph hears about this. He may have even heard that it was by the Holy Spirit. He might have heard of the dream and the, well, the visitation Mary had of an angel telling her that she was going to be uh, of child by the Holy Spirit. He probably might have heard of that. But th that's pretty fantastic stuff. And at this point, even if Joseph did hear that, he doesn't really have any, any word from God himself about that, any concrete evidence about that. So going just on the evidence he has before him, it looks like Mary has been unfaithful. And so Joseph doesn't want to marry an unfaithful woman, and he's taking steps to divorce Mary. But it says he was a righteous man. What that means is righteous, what it means is everything's lined up right. Meaning that, like if you're, a, if you're a carpenter, that means it's plumb. You know, the, it's straight and it's square. And what that refers to is a person whose life is lining up to what God created us to be. It's not like a religious term. We've made it such a religious term that a person's righteous means that they go to church all the time and they're constantly being doing pious things. But righteous means my life lines up with what God wants, wants me to be. Or at least you would look at, look, at, look at Joseph's life and you would say, that's a picture. Might not be perfect, but it's a pretty good likeness of what God created mankind to be like. And so Joseph was righteous and he had compassion for Mary. I mean, you think about it, he must have been heartbroken. I mean, the only evidence he has is that she was unfaithful. And so it... At the very least, he's heartbroken over what's happened, if not outright believing that she's not the pure young woman that he thought she was. You know, a lot of men would want to make her pay for that. You know, a lot of men would want to uh, embarrass her. And a lot of men would want to justify themselves. You know, the most self-justifying thing Joseph could have done would have been to publicly renounce Mary. Because if his the woman he's betrothed to is pregnant, guess what everyone else thinks in the community? They think it's Joseph. You know, Joseph goes around like such a righteous, godly man, but look what he did. And so if he cared about his own reputation, all he had to do was stand up in the public forum and say, I am not the father, I renounce Mary and I divorce her. But he didn't want to do that because he knew pain was coming to her anyway. And he knew that this was going to become found out more and more, and she would experience rejection and shame and pain heaped upon her by her relatives and those in the community who would not have understood or, or necessarily even believed 
what, what it, that she had a visitation from an angel. But Joseph was a righteous man, so he had compassion. And, and in spite of his personal pain, he had no desire to make things harder for Mary because he was a righteous man. It reminds me of um, Proverbs 19.22. Proverbs 19.22 is a, a tremendous verse because it says this. It says, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. His kindness. It doesn't say, you know, top of the list, what's desirable for a man is his, he has a powerful personality. Or he sticks to what he, he, he starts and he doesn't give up, he has perseverance. Or, or he has wisdom or he has a real sharp mental acuity and he can win arguments. Doesn't say any of that. And none of those things are necessarily bad. Maybe the winning the argument kind can lean on the negative side. But, but without kindness, power is not godly. You know, without kindness, even perseverance is not going to be godly. It takes kindness is the heart of what God wants when he looks at manhood. And, and by the way, that, that applies to women as well not just to men. But Joseph was a man who, uh, who, who exhibited this kindness. And as a key truth, I want to say this. I, I think this. I think that Joseph understood something. I think that Joseph knew there was always another side to the story. There's always another side to the story. The other side of the story might not justify the person that you're interacting with. It, it might not mean that what they did to you or what they did was right, but it can give you compassion for the person. Uh, some of you have heard me share this story before, but uh, back in the 80s at our first church, uh, I was going through the, uh, the um, a line at the bank, go up to the teller and get some uh, cash out. And I had forgotten to fill out my paperwork. Now, that was something that I always thought you should always fill out your paperwork ahead of time. And, and anybody that didn't, I had like a real critical attitude towards. So on this occasion, I had forgotten to, and I'm filling out my paperwork. And the guy behind me, a guy that I, I knew not well, but I knew who he was, knew his name, knew where he worked. He stuck his window out of his car, and he screamed at me. I mean, he was irate. He yelled, get moving. What's wrong with you? And so you know, I just went about my business and left. A couple weeks later, I was driving past the place that I knew he worked. It was a store. It was actually a waterbed store. Anybody here remember back in the days when there were waterbed stores on every corner? And I stopped in to see him, and I said, hey, man. I said, I, I was just uh, thinking of you, and I remember I you know, held you up in the line there. And yeah, I agree with you. I should have had my paperwork filled out ahead of time. And he said, oh, no, no. He said, it wasn't you at all. And he told me, he said, I just 30 minutes earlier, I had heard that my brother had taken his own life. He said, I was there getting money so I could drive to Illinois to identify the body. And he said, I was just out of my mind. And there's always another side to the story. You know, what you and I see isn't the full picture. And is it right to scream at somebody? In the bank line, would, you, would anybody here say that, yeah, that's an acceptable practice? No, we would say, no, it's not the right thing to do. But when you see the other side of the story, you, you understand. 
and your heart, you have compassion. There's compassion. The very same window, a teller, a, a, a woman was just went through this grumpy phase. Like if you pulled up and said, hey, it's a beautiful day, she would say, what's beautiful about it? You know, just stuff like that. And I mean, I judged her left and right, up and down, and I'd pull away from uh, experiences with her thinking, man, if I ran that bank, you know, I would, I would teach them how to treat customers the right way, and on and on. And a few months later, I found out she was pregnant, and um, I always got there early in the morning. And even though it wasn't right for her to respond the way she did, she was probably having a morning sickness because she, that cleared up. That season didn't last forever, and she became a nice person again. Okay, so, so there's always another side to the story. You ha- we have to give room for that. That's what Joseph was able to do. Even if Mary had been unfaithful, what the heck is going on in Mary's life that would cause her, this young woman, to ruin her life by doing this? You know, what, what, what's, I mean, there, there's compassion that we can feel when we understand that, that there's another side to the story. There was, a, there was a guy that uh, I was driving in a bad part of the city, not here in Cincinnati, but in another city. And uh, this young guy stepped off the sidewalk and started moseying across the street. It wasn't in a crosswalk or anything, walking very slowly. And um, I had to actually slow down and come to a stop so I didn't run over him. And at that moment, God just gave me this thing. I looked at him and I thought, you know, I wonder what's going on in his life. You know, I mean, maybe he just heard that his brother had died, and he doesn't even know he's walking on the road. Maybe, uh, maybe he just is so frustrated with life that he doesn't care. Or maybe this is the only thing in life he can influence or control, or at least that's what he believes. And I felt real compassion for him, because I, I, I had compassion for him because there is no one in his life, no older man, no older woman to tell him life can be better than it is. You can have hope. If you live this way, if you, if you come to know Jesus, your life can change. And you don't have to live in this setting forever. But just there's always another side to the story. And something similar happened to me this week right up here at the, cross, at the crossroads of Springdale and Coleraine. I was coming west, and I think there's like five lanes of traffic there. And I was the first car. The, the red light was red. And a couple started walking across. They, they, had the, they had the green light and everything, the walk moment. But they weren't going to make it as slow as they were walking. I mean, they were really walking slow, and they were holding hands. And I'm up first thinking, come on, guys, hurry up. The light is going to turn green pretty quickly here. And then I noticed in her gate, there just seemed to be something a little off. And, and, and I'm, so then I started thinking, well, maybe she has trouble walking. And then that was confirmed when they were probably six feet away from the curb. The light did turn, and he just kind of gently pulled her along. And, and she hurried, but I could tell in her walk that she, she had problems with her balance and some sort of a nervous disorder. And I just thought, man, good for you, guy. Seriously, I thought, you don't need to worry about what I think or what anyone else thinks or about holding traffic up. You're standing beside your girl. You're loving her. You're doing the right thing right now. But you just understand there's always another side to the story. And if we can just get that into our minds, into our hearts, then we can respond to things the way Joseph did. 
and that we can respond with compassion instead of trying to retaliate or wanting to hurt people who we think do, did something to hurt us. But Joseph was the kind of man that God wanted. He was the kind of man that God wanted uh, for, his, uh, for his son to father him and to bring him up, a man of mercy and a man of kindness. So, so uh, interestingly, a man who's righteous like that with such a good heart was on the brink of making a devastating decision based upon all the information he had and what he could see, uh, but not, not all of the information God had. But he's contemplating making this decision to divorce Mary, however quietly, so as not to embarrass her any more than she already is and will be, or shame her. But you know the good thing is, when you have an open heart, part of being righteous, part of being right, being lined up right is your heart is open to God. Part of being lined up right with him, the kind of person he created you to be, man or woman, part of that is your heart is open to God, and God will speak. There's a verse in Proverbs, not in Proverbs, but in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, and it says, whether you turn to the left or to the right, you're going to hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, walk in it. And so uh, there's something interesting about that. You're already moving. You're already walking. You're making decisions based upon what you think is best, what you can see with godly wisdom in the circumstances you're in, but with the assurance that God will speak to you and he'll say, uh-uh, no, not left, right. Turn this way, not that way. And that's what he does for Joseph. He sends this angel to Joseph. And I think it's interesting, the angel starts off saying, Joseph, son of David, and uh, th that has to be because he, he's about to introduce the Messiah, and the son of David was a messianic name. It was, it was something that the Messiah was referred to as the son of David. Joseph would be a son of David. Uh, Messiah would be the son of David. But I wonder also if he isn't reminding Joseph of who he is, Reminding Joseph of this big story of the nation of Israel and the promises that God gave to Abraham and the promises that God gave to David. That David would have an heir one day who would sit on the throne and his, his kingdom would never end. I wonder if he's reminding him of those things, of David, the guy who trusted God in such a way that he didn't take vengeance on Saul even when he could have. I wonder if he's reminding Joseph that David trusted in the promises of God even when it did not look like they could possibly be fulfilled. Impossible situations that he faced and he trusted God. Then again, it could be simply the humility David experienced because of his sin with Bathsheba. But he calls him Joseph, son of David. And then he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Don't fear. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What would have he been afraid of? I don't think he was afraid of his own reputation, because if he was, he could solve that very easily by renouncing Mary publicly. What he would have been afraid of was marrying a woman that he couldn't trust, marrying someone that, that was unfaithful and that he would have a life of struggle uh, with this person who, who was unfaithful and did not have the character that, uh, that God wanted her to have. So fear, uh, you know, if we are afraid, fear can keep us from forging ahead into everything God has for us. 
Fear can mess up our thinking. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.5 says this. 2 Timothy 1.5, it says, For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When he says spirit there, I don't think he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the new spirit that he put in us. When he recreated us through Jesus, when we were born again, we got new hearts. That new heart comes with a brand new inner spirit. That's part of who we are. And he says, what he's saying here is our spirits, our new, new creation heart is not inclined towards fear. It is inclined towards power, love, and sound thinking. But if because of our lack of understanding of that, we give in to fear, then what that's going to do is cut out in our lives the power. It's going to keep us from loving because really in many respects, fear is the opposite of love. Fear is inwardly focused. Love is outwardly focused. Fear is self-protective. Love will do anything to serve the other. Power, love, and it messes up our ability to think. Have you ever been really afraid of something and you just think, I just can't think? You know, don't ask me any more questions. I can't think because fear takes over and it confuse, our minds become confused when we're fearful. But Joseph, uh, if, if he feared that taking Mary as his wife, he doesn't need to any longer because the, Holy, he, the, the angel says what was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's not unfaithful, Joseph. She was not unfaithful. She's a godly, righteous woman. She was not unfaithful. You can trust her character. She'll have a son, and you'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the very name Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's the same as the Hebrew word name in the Old Testament, Joshua. Yeshua, Jehovah saves. And so something we need to understand is the Jews were looking for a Messiah that would deliver them from Israel. And that would take a pretty powerful person, not from Israel, but from the Romans, deliver Israel from the Romans. That would take a powerful person. But it took far more power for God to deal with sin at the cross. In fact, in Isaiah, it, it says, it talks about the works of God and how they're his, the, the handiwork of his, of his hand, his hand, his fingers, finger work. But when it came to redemption, it took his arm, the strength of his arm. And, and so Jesus coming to save his people from their sins and ultimately the whole world from their sins was a display of power that uh, went beyond anything that uh, the, the Jews were really conceiving of at this time. So then he goes into this prophetic word in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill uh, what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And I can't help but go to uh, Luke 1.37, where when Mary gets her visitation from an angel, uh, Joseph gets a dream with an angel in it. Mary had an actual angel walk into her room. I don't know the difference there, but it seems like there's some difference. We can ask Micah about that later. But um, the, the angel that came to Mary... She says, how can this be? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a virgin, I'm, I'm married. And the angel says, nothing's impossible with God. But you know the literal translation of that? The literal translation of that is this. It would be no word that God speaks could ever not be possible. Now, I know that's kind of like backwards in English and, and kind of convoluted, but what it's saying is it is, in Greek, it is slamming the door closed on the possibility that anything God says is going to happen would not happen. 
that, that when God says it, it's going to happen. If God said it, you can trust it. It's going to happen. And so this prophetic word came from uh, Isaiah. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the virgin, the virgin birth, and um, the, the word actually in Isaiah is a young maiden, but, and, and well, 50 years ago, there's a big controversy over that. Some translations did not translate it as virgin, but the point would be that in that context, a young maiden was a virgin, and that was the whole point of the passage in Isaiah, that this is going to be a miraculous birth, and so uh, that Matthew translated it with the word virgin. A virgin shall conceive, they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, and this whole idea of God being with us is, is so uh, significant. If you remember, when Wilson gave his recent message, I think it was actually, it was uh, last week, on the exile, and he was talking about the covenants. And in, in Near Eastern culture, a king would come in and conquer a land, and then he would form a covenant with that land, which was, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you do that, I'll come back, and there'll be trouble. And so God writes a covenant with Israel very similar to that, blessings and curses, blessings and consequences of not living by the covenant. And, but but then what that king would do in the Near East was they would always go back to their homeland and live in their palace back in their homeland. They didn't want to live in this land they had conquered. But with Israel, God frees them from Egypt and brings them out into the wilderness, and he forms a covenant with them that follows the very same pattern as all the other covenants that kings would make with a conquered people. But instead of going back to heaven... God sets up a home right in their midst. He has them build a tabernacle with a place called the Holy of Holies. And in that Holy of Holies, God's presence actually dwelt there in, in a, some sort of a fiery glowing orb or something like that. It was called the Shekinah glory. And it was the fire glory, the, the presence of God. God lived with this people that he had formed a covenant with, unlike all the other covenants ever written in the Near East. And so it really is a fulfillment of the Garden of Eden where it says that God came to them to walk with them in the cool of the evening. Because even then, God's intent was to be intimately involved with the lives of human beings, with his presence there, to be with them where they could commune with him and see him. And so Jesus is God with us, God coming to become one of us. And in verse 24, we read this, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, meaning he received her. When, when, the, when the time came, they were actually married, but he didn't know her. They didn't, have, they didn't consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And it says in Luke that the angel there told Mary, you'll name him Jesus. And so they were in agreement that this baby is going to be named Jesus. And the fact that Joseph made a concrete decision while Mary was pregnant would have given her this confidence for life that, it, that Joseph is a godly man that I can trust. That, that he, he, it's not like my son Brent had this insight 
that if, you, if God had gotten the two of them together in the same room and said, hey, here's my plan, what do you think? You know, it's so easy. One spouse looks at the other one and says, mm, what do you think? Well, I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm okay with it. And, well, I guess I'm okay with it too. And, and there's a hesitancy to come out strong when, when, because the couple really needs to go off by themselves and talk it through and talk it out. But be, because he met each of them individually, he met Mary before the, before the pregnancy, and he met Joseph after the pregnancy and gave him the news then. And I think the thing is, they both needed to say yes to a concrete reality. And for Mary, with that angel right there, Mary, this is going to happen, okay? You know, it might even happen before you wake up tomorrow morning. This is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. It's going to happen. He didn't say this, but I'm, 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 I'm uh, uh, assuming that, that there was an immediacy to the promise that he's giving her. And so she's saying yes to this. She said yes to the concrete presence of this angel telling her God's going to put a baby inside you. It's going to be the son of God. You're going to be the mother of God's son on earth. She said yes. Now, if Joseph had said yes at that time, he would have been saying yes to an abstraction. He would have been saying yes to some thought that's probably going to happen. Have you ever said yes to something and then later thought, why did I ever agree to do that? What was I thinking? I mean, that could happen. And you could be setting him up for that by telling him ahead of time. But the fact that it was clear, she's showing, people know she's pregnant, Joseph, will you marry her? Yes, I will, because I'm going to obey you, God. I love her, but I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to do this. And so that would have just given Mary such strength and confidence in him that I don't think could have been had um, in any other way. But uh, Joseph... Uh, obeys, he hears what God says. You know, sometimes it's a matter of hearing and then discussing it with a team. If you have a team you're working with, like Paul in Acts 16, he has a dream, and uh, someone, a Macedonian man is saying, hey, come over here, come over here, because they were trying to decide where to go. It would have been easy for Paul to get up the next morning and say, everybody, I have the answer, we're going to Macedonia. But it says, the next morning, we concluded his team discussed it, and they concluded that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. So sometimes, even when you get a fairly clear word from God, you need to take it to people close to you. And, and really, I would say almost always, not obviously always, because it doesn't appear Joseph did that. But almost always, we need to do that and, and to process it, especially if it's, if it's a team decision that's going to affect other people's lives. But you hear it, and then you obey it. You trust God. You trust his lordship in your life. And, and you do what he says to do. You look for opportunities to step into that and, and to walk it out, listening for the next steps as you go. So this whole, uh, whole uh, passage is so, it's just so beautiful and powerful in presenting the type of man Joseph was. He was a man with compassion. He was a man whose life lined up, lined up with what God wanted him to be. And part of that was he had compassion. Even when he looked like he was being terribly wronged, he had compassion. So we, we want to be like that. We want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And even if they're wrong, you see, if someone is wrong and they're wronging you, 
and you go at it from a perspective of you know what's behind them, you know what their motives are, then all that's happening is you're reacting to them. They act, you react, then they react to you, and you react back to them. Married people here, am I telling the truth or not? That's the truth. But if you have a heart of compassion and you realize there's more to this than meets the eye, then even if you disagree, you can do it in a compassionate way and, and you have the ability then to listen and, and try to find out what, what else is behind this. You know, there's a lot of emotion here. You know, what's behind that? And, and it's the compassion that enables us to do that. So it's a real key to relationships but just to have an open heart for whatever God has for us. And, and you know, like if, if someone had said to Joseph, hey, Joseph, how, what do you think of this? You know, we're going to get your, your woman pregnant somehow, and then you're going to marry her anyway. Um, I mean, it's, you have to be, we have to be open to whatever God has for us and allow him to redirect us. And then just simply obey when he speaks. And finally, just trust God's timing. Just trust God's timing because he told Mary ahead of time and he told Joseph afterwards and that was exactly the right thing for both of them and for his plan and for their lives and for their welfare personally. So would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come down. Come on down, please. And... Um, I'm going to let Micah come up and uh, give any words that he might have related to this message, but I, I will say anything that's t speaking to you, touching your heart, come on down and receive prayer, okay? So Micah, go ahead and close the service.